scaling with integrity is harder than most people think. I think that zero to five million is really when you're developing your proof of concept and if you're kind of working out your systems and processes. I think once you kind of eclipse that five million, the larger jumps tend to get easier. I'm kind of looking at my executive team and the leaders right under them. And I'm like, if I could get, we keep growing than these people that we've, that I think are awesome, we'll be more likely to want to stay because we have more opportunities. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown and this is the Hook Better Leads podcast. And today I've got Madeline Stout from Profit Panda on. How you doing, Madeline? Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. We also know her as M Money. Uh, so shout out to M Money. She helps you get more money. We're talking about roofing budget strategies to keep more money. Um, and I am very excited about this. I always have to speak a little bit on marketing budget, but the broader topic of budget needs more illumination uh, to to help us make good decisions on marketing and whatever else, right? So um, could you give us a little bit of your background and then I guess how many roofing company budgets have you taken a look at over the last couple of years? Yeah, for sure. So uh, first, I'm a wife, mother of four, um, I'm a founder of a company called Profit Panda, as you already mentioned, um, and we're an accounting firm that exclusively works with contractors and home service companies. So specifically to roofing, that makes up a big part of our book of business. I would say over the last probably one or two years, I've done one, well over 100 budgets specifically focused on roofing and roofing metrics. Um, but over the last decade, I mean, tons. So I'm excited to talk about mm -hmm. it and, you know, answer some of your questions. How did you get into this? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say not many little girls think that when I grow up, I'm going to be a accountant for contractors. Um, honestly, I really thought when I was younger, I was going to be a rock star. Um, that was a failed attempt, but tried that in my teens and mm. early 20s. Um, and just to be completely honest with you, after moving back from that pursuit, um, started college just as anyone else would, got my first job and it happened to be in a tax office because they were the only ones paying over $8 an hour. So started- Where did as a you move to to become a rock star, by the way? Um, I was trying in the Where Seattle area. Move? Okay, I was trying in the Texas area or in, really? in Dallas. So we have- yeah, and then I moved back and finished college and then started, and now I work with contractors. It's just kind of funny. Parallel lives. Okay, like cool. So, um, yeah. you know, like I said, attempted that, came back, got a job at a tax office, and originally I was just a receptionist, and halfway through tax season, they lost some people, and they're like, hey, why don't you go help over here on the tax side? And I'm like, I'm not sure about that. They're like, it pays $12 an hour. I'm like, <laughs> I got you. So... um yeah. Honestly, I really enjoyed working surprisingly in that office and 12 years later, still doing very similar things, um, but just now a little bit more tactically, more of a partnership rather than just processing volumes of tax returns. Okay. I just have to share. It's been about 12 years since I started anything in marketing too. And I worked at a restaurant and then started to do marketing for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. and then got to go to corporate or whatever. It's just funny. It's like how long it's been and everything. It's just crazy. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of roofing budgets though. You've looked at a lot of them. So can you give us an overview of what is the mindset of a budget? Like what should be the mindset in a budgeting process? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say 
the mindset and just business in general really correlates to the way that you also handle budgets internally. And when it comes to year end planning, I think when you kind of have that scarcity mindset, the way that you're going to do your budget is going to say, okay, this is how much revenue, this is what my goal is. I need to fit my expenses in here to try to squeeze as much profit out of the bottom. And that's going to be your traditional budget. It's, you know, we're trying to, um, cut overhead we're trying to cut marketing we're trying to cut certain things to get to our profit goals um, i'm a big fan of reverse engineering budgets so i want to understand your financial why there's usually three of them and i can go over those if you'd like um, i want to understand yes. your financial why yeah and then we're going to basically reverse engineer your budget to hit that financial why um, and so it's just a little bit, it's a shift. I wouldn't say it's not a pie in the sky budget. So if you tell me, Hey, I have a $1 million roofing company and I want to take it to a hundred million reverse engineer my budget. It's not going to happen in a year. So we're going to be realistic so with that. Maybe, I mean, our average viewer, um, or like my average client too, is kind of similar size to where we're at. So let's do like, if I was, cause this is what I'm trying to do next year. I'll just yeah. be honest with everyone. We're at 4 million. We'll finish here at 4 million. We're trying to do 6 million next year. Cool. So that's a very common, like kind of gross trajectory. It's probably aggressive for a marketing agency, but it's probably a fairly common like goal to add another couple million. Or, sure. And like, also, do you have to like, do you have to scare people off of big, big goals? Cause there's a lot of $4 million companies that are trying to go to 10 next year or $4 yeah. million companies that like, I'm scared when anyone says they're trying to add like three you know, 3 million from a smaller number, like anytime yeah. it's that big of a leap, I feel like people can lose sight of profit. You yeah. Know? Like when people are trying to make these big leaps, I'm not telling anyone to slow down. I'm saying sure. like, isn't it scary though? I think scaling with integrity is harder than most people think. I think that zero to 5 million is really when you're developing your proof of concept and it, you're kind of working out your systems and processes. I think once you kind of eclipse that 5 million, the larger jumps tend to get easier. So to answer your question, I don't know if I would be mm. scared, but show me the why, show me the how. Um, so if we can kind of work through that process together, then if we can make it work great. Um, I think what happens in at least my industry is it's a pretty legacy industry that's very fear-based. We're so scared of audits. We're so scared of the IRS. We're so, so scared of making a financial mistake and losing it all. So the reality is of that we definitely mitigate against, but I'm also don't want that to be the thing that holds you back in hitting those goals. So I think there, there's a little bit of give and take, but certainly um, the, it just depends on where you're at in business and your kind of your risk adversity over risk adversity. So let's go into that. You said, give us the why. And then, so the, the why of the budget. So give me a little so, bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So I typically, I would say over the last 10 years, most people have a financial why. Now your financial why may not be your whole business why, but just specific to your finances. I notice that people fall in one of three categories. The first is their financial why is they want to build a company that's a cash builder. So they just, whether they want their businesses to support their lifestyle, they want it to be a certain, like a profitability number, whatever. It's more cash focused or cash flow focused. The second is going to be for acquisition. Maybe you're a company that's looking to sell in the next two to five years or beyond. And the third is going to be someone who's focused on legacy. Maybe they want to pass the company down to another generation, or they just simply want their company to outlive them. 
all when, when you decide your financial why, it's going to greatly impact the way that we manage your finances and budget. Because if you tell me, hey, should I go take out this debt or this loan, depending on the route that you're choosing, I might have a different answer. And so establish that first. So I'll give you, just for the sake of workshopping here, I feel like workshop style gets better results with content. Absolutely. I, my, my why is probably around like giving my people opportunities. Yes, I want to make more money. I do want to make more money, but like, I also want my people to be able to grow. So if we grow as a company, then they could lead more, they could lead someone in the future. So like on average, I'm kind of looking at my executive team and the leaders right under them. And I'm like, if I could get, if we keep growing, then these people that we've, that I think are awesome, will be more likely to want to stay because we have more opportunities. Yeah. So to be and they like could make more money too. Yeah, to be honest with you, though, that why can honestly fit into all of the other financial whys. And that's because you're thinking about the team. Yeah. I want to focus on you. What is it that you want? Are you personally yeah. looking to scale? Are you looking to sell? Or are you looking to pass it off? So, like, yeah, that I'm looking here. at like, I, I'm looking to scale. So, right now we're like 30 ish people. And, like, I'll, you know, in the next few years, five years, I'd like to go to like 60. And in, 10, 15 years, maybe sell. But right okay. now I like to look at the selling. Like I like to look at private equity stuff and various like possible um, purchasing, like how people would purchase this because I feel like a lot of times it has key little keys to unlock good things Absolutely. in my own business. Because sure. what would they do if they had my company? Then I just try to do those things. You know what I mean? Like I want to I wanna learn from those guys even though I don't really want to sell. Yeah, so the, your mindset may be in the selling t territory, but your tactical right now when it comes to budgets needs to be focused on the cash builder side. Mm -hmm. And as you get to yeah. that three to five years, mm -hmm. hey, maybe I'm looking at an acquisition in this next season, then we'll pivot your financial strategy. But I would say in terms of today's topic, which is kind of budgeting and reverse engineering budget, we're going to focus on that cash builder, which I would say is most common for most of my clients that are sub 40 years old. So yeah, because you think you're saying sub 40 million? Sub 40 years old, like they're under the age oh. of 40. Hey guys, this is Bruce Baidon. And when dealing with insurance companies, you definitely need an expert by your side. So if you need someone to walk in, hold your hands throughout the insurance process, not really, Max. Build the experts, supplement experts. You can hold my hand. Okay. Um, and just curious, like, what are the average type revenue, like customers that you work with the most? Yeah. So we work on a fractional basis. So I would say we have like two main packages. If you're a bookkeeping client, you're going to be somewhere in the zero to 5 million. If you're in our CFO package, which is a little bit more of a hands-on tactical, you're going to be somewhere in that five to 15 million. Beyond that, we're probably going to recommend awesome. that you bring in a financial team in-house. Smart. I like that. Um, and do people ever have like people in-house and you kind of working in tandem or is that not common for you? We prefer that. Um, and the reason why is we, fo we focus very heavily on job costing and job budgets. And so if I see, for example, you go and swipe your card at Home Depot and I don't know who it's for, it would be nice to go to someone that isn't the business owner because that's not really a good use of their time to help us kind of connect the dots on, you know, tying up job profitability. 
I like that. So I see two kind of mindsets in this too. And I want to kind of like, maybe this goes into what you were saying, but I, um, I see people one that are trying to kind of cover up money. <laughs> and I mean, like, no, I'm not talking about anyone specific, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> they're trying to cover up money and, but use it almost within the business as use as much stuff within the business as possible. And usually that's earlier, but then I have other people that like kind of feel beholden to either their, you know, their executive team or outside people. Like, let's say if you've got any funding or anything like that and want to show profit on the books or are looking to sell in the next three years or something. And then you're trying to show upward profit. Is that kind of what you're talking about? The like people are trying to kind of cover it up a little bit and then people are trying to um, carry it forward on the books so that they can get credit for it when it's time to sell? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say for the first, your first example, the people that kind of, they're going to throw their travel through the business and you know, they're trying to they throw up slides with some things in there. They're not really focused on that net income number. Um, they're doing that with the mindset of trying to save money on taxes. It's not the mindset yeah. of trying to grow, scale the vision or get to their financial why. So I would say that that's going to be your business owner who isn't very seasoned because once they align with a financial professional or get themselves into a, a room with high net earners, what they realize is that you can show positive net income, but get into other aspects of business like real estate or commercial property, use the losses from there to get your tax advantage. So you get the win-win. Not only do you show a profitable company, but you can you can start using that cash instead of just trying to, oh, I don't want to pay the IRS. Great. Both scenarios, you don't have to. But when yeah. you, let's utilize your cash in a much more tactical way for you to achieve that outcome, yeah. but also grow wealth. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I see that too. And I certainly, those first three years was all about like trying to you know, like not show a ton of income, but then it's like, yeah, at this point, next few years, we'd like to get a commercial building and things like that, like, or whatever we end up, you know, figuring out to use. But yeah, it's weird when you're trying to just not make a profitable, you know what I mean? Like it's a yeah, weird that, that mindset. First, that first couple of years, you're like, well, it's just a write-off. It's a write-off. But what people don't understand yeah. is that the just a write-off is not dollar for dollar. If you go and you buy yeah. a truck or like, or, you know, a laptop for a thousand dollars, it doesn't mean that you get a thousand dollars off on your taxes. And so you're kind of like, there's an, there's this inequity of like, I'm spending money, but you're not even getting the value. Whereas if you break into some other yeah. industries, you might be able to spend, let's say $200,000 or maybe you need to loan and spend $0, but get hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax benefit for your business. So just a mindset thing. I love that. That's that's worth its weight for this podcast alone, I think. Um, what are some some numbers that you focus on? Like, what are the couple numbers that you get really into with people? Yeah, so roofing specific, I noticed that you're going to lose money in up to four categories. And I'll go over them briefly. The first is going to be in your yep. materials or what we call cost of goods sold. And where this number starts to get off track is when we're not doing adequate job costing or our estimation process is not dialed in, as dialed in as it should be. The second is going to be in labor. So a big question that I get asked is, should I have a subcontracted crew or should I have an in-house crew? And I've seen both of them work successfully, but the question that I would ask back to whoever's watching is, what does your internal management look like? 
What do systems and processes look like? Because if you have really beefy management, then in-house tends to be the way to go because, you know, it's a little bit of a lower controlled rate. But if they're hourly and they're not well managed, then you're going to lose your grit because they're incentivized by making overtime, not by hitting your project deadline. Whereas subs, you might pay a little bit more for them, but they cover their own ins insurance. They typically get the job turned on time. So there's going to be pros and cons, but we really, I would say for our CFO clients that come in, we probably spend the first 90 days just talking about those first two topics because that's where most of the money walks out the door. Say so um, those two one more time. Materials and labor. Materials and labor. You spend three. Okay. Masterclass and very important things, right? Obviously yeah. the biggest, uh, um, what is it? COGs, COGS, yeah. right? Cost yeah. of goods sold. Cost um, of goods sold, cost of labor sold. And tactically what we do is we're going to get into your rate sheets because like ABC just raised their prices for 2024. So we need to make sure that those are updated. Mm -hmm. We're going to do budget versus actuals on your projects. What did we think this job was going to cost? Where did we end up? Let's, let's solidify that closeout process. On the yep. labor side, it's going to be labor and time tracking. So how long did it take us to turn the job? How many hours versus what we estimated? So when we can find those variances or dial them in, we can adjust our pricing accordingly or manage our yep. team accordingly. What would you, Do you have any like benchmarks that we can talk about, like averages of certain things, like for yeah. instance, like gross profit or, you know, like I would love to hear any like kind of average numbers that people yeah. can think about. And that if this is way low, like, like red flag kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that typically are like specific to roofing, your materials and your labor combined are probably floating between 50-60% and then you have to add in your overhead on top of it. That's probably floating somewhere around the 20% mark. But what people don't understand when they look at their P&L is that you know how whenever you look at an income statement, you've got like your sales or your revenue at the top, your cost of goods sold, and then your expenses. And people think that that's what their profit is, that, that net income at the bottom line. But for roofers and for contractors, they spend so much time looking at their P&L, but it doesn't translate at all to the actual cash or profit that they're retaining. And it's because what's wow. not on the P&L is your credit card payments, your distributions. If you have trucks, heavy machinery and equipment. I've had people that will show 20% bottom line and will have $0 in the bank because they've got 16 things on a fleet or they've got debt or they've got accounts payable that's sky high or they struggle collecting. So the tactical numbers, are they important and do we need to monitor them? Yes, but there's these intangible things that are not even shown on your P&L that absolutely need to be factored in to when you're doing your budget. And we call, we call those intangibles or soft costs. And so as we kind of evolve this podcast more into like the tactics, tactics of budgeting, 100% your, your car um, payments, your distributions, your tax payments, um, and if you're paying off a credit card that has a balance, build that into your budget because that's cash that's leaving your bank account and you need to know about it. Wow, that's, that's a great uh, thought there, I think. When you're doing that, when you have, I mean, I've been here, so I can, I, I can attest to this. I don't look, 
I'll be real. This maybe I should maybe I shouldn't even say this. I don't look that closely at her money. My yeah. my wife does. She's good at it. And as I've stopped looking so closely at it, it's gotten much better for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, that's all I know right now. But when I was it's really focused on, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when I was really focused on it then I I would definitely notice these numbers look good. Like the profit looks good, but then I'm looking at the bank account and the bank account's rough. Yeah. You know, and I, I if if you have that, it's almost like it's not a budgeting problem is what you're saying. Like if, if the, if it shows a, or is it a, but like, it's almost like you need a finance, you need a advisor, you need a, a fractional CFO to tell you these things are broken and it's like hard to just get that under control with just a budget. Is that yeah, what I'm it, hearing a little bit? Yeah, because if you think about, you could be the best salesperson. You can show massive numbers on like accrual financials, meaning like I sold this job, I made an invoice, but if you can't collect on it, it doesn't matter. So Rilla allows you to listen to, uh, it's, in your, it's an AI in your pocket, listens yeah. to the appointment. It's pretty crazy what it can do. It gives a script, gives everything they said, it breaks down some statistics for you. Analyze talk ratio, interactivity, like how you and I are interacting back and forth, uh, long as yeah, modeling, like all those honestly, things. Honestly, this is the shit that I most believe in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Enhancing the You're about to put math and data around something that used to be my magic skill. And one so, of the biggest things that we've tried to fix too is like that, like our onboarding process. Sorry, I know that this might not, but it probably relates to roofing too. Like you're saying, sorry, you, I'm ahead of you. We, I, we have notes, but the rate at which you turn jobs, like, and how yeah. quickly you get into that. I, I stole your thunder on that. I apologize. But any <laughs> other levers or strategies that roofing company owners can do to get more profit? What else is like that? And, and yeah, feel free so to go further into rate. Jobs. Yeah, for sure. So um, the, I call it the cash flow rat race. And that's where I see a lot of roofing contractors get in is when they, you know, they complete a job and then they have to hurry up and sell more work to pay the AP or the bills for that job that they just finished. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is when we kind of get some of the tactics in place of, hey, where should our percentages be for materials? Let's update our rate sheet. Let's make sure that we're managing production. When our margins improve just a little bit on the newer jobs that we're selling, we can use that increased profit to pay off our backlog. That process takes between 90 and 120 days. But let me tell you that when your AP is gone and managed, it will set you free. Because a lot of our roofing clients, they'll, they're just always trying to buy more time paying their suppliers. The AP, you know, like, for example, you get an invoice for materials and it's typically, you know, it's due 30 days later. So the job is well done and complete by then. And then you might pay that with a credit card because maybe you want your credit card points and you've got another 30 days to pay it. And so it's just this compiling um, weight of so much money that you owe other people. And you're like constantly selling work to get that behind you. And that's a huge mm -hmm. stressor on a lot of contractors. Have you seen that or have you heard of that at all? Oh, oh yeah, not uncommon, right? Like we can, we're not preaching at you. I think it's just, we know the pain. We know the pain, it sucks. Well, what about um, good relationships with banks and lines of credit? When do you advise people to get larger lines of credit 
what size company should you definitely have that and or do you not advise it? Um, I definitely think that there's always a purpose for debt or line of credit, but it comes with the caveat of what is it being used for and is it going to give us an ROI that's greater than the risk? So I wouldn't say I'm debt adverse, yeah. but it's going to stem back yeah. to your financial why. If you're looking to sell, I'm not going to go and have you take out a bunch of debt, right? So if we're focusing on cash builder, maybe you do a lot of insurance work. And so you're fronting a lot of costs and you're constantly chasing down the insurance companies to get paid. I could see like the the uh, allure of potentially getting some type of line of credit to kind of help you cash flow. But you definitely need to be very disciplined in the fact that when you get that funding, it's not to go pay off X, Y, Z over here. It's I'm constantly repaying that line of credit. So the line of credit, it definitely yeah, yeah. needs to be used as more of a cyclical tool rather than more of like a long-term loan or note. You're not using it to float your overhead. If I see that you're digging into your line of credit to pay your your normal overhead bills, we know that there's a problem. Good. Are there any other levers or strategies to get more profit that you want to share here? Um, have you ever heard of invoice factoring? I have not. I'm very okay. Interested. So invoice factoring, it's little bit um what's the word i'm looking for like um people sneaky. have very what is it is it sneaky no it's um when people have like very polar opposite opinions on it polarizing polarizing yeah so i would say it's like relatively polarizing um but it can, it's definitely a tool that when used appropriately can help you get over your cash flow rat race issues so what it looks like is, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this roof or whatever. This is how much it costs. I'm going to submit the invoice and maybe it's an insurance company and I'm not going to see that money for 30 plus days. But right now I have my rent to pay and I have payroll that's due and I might be able to buy a little bit of time with my suppliers because I have 30 days to pay those guys off. But today I've got payroll this Friday. So what you can do is you can take that invoice. QuickBooks uses has an has an option for this. There's multiple companies out there. Definitely do some due diligence because some of them are shady. But you can submit your invoice to them and say, hey, use this invoice as collateral and give me a loan to cover my costs now. Yeah. So that company is going to give you the cash. What I'm thinking of invoice. right now are is this like Inc or um, Square Dash? The, those, those names don't ring a bell to me, but potentially. I'm still trying to understand those companies and what they do, but essentially it is kind of like that from what I understand is essentially to get yeah. you know, essentially money in exchange for the knowing yeah, that they're, they're going to give you, they're going to take out a fee or whatever, but that will give you the cash yeah. flow that you need now, get your stuff paid, don't have the lingering AP and payroll and cash flow issues, build that fee into your margins on the budget, which we'll talk about. And okay. then you're, you no longer have you to call that invoice factoring. invoice factoring. Yeah. Cool. All, any other ones, tactics that you've seen that are awesome? Um, specifically related to just helping with profit or with what? Yeah. With profit. Um, I would say if you have relatively dialed in materials, expenses, um, cash flow, you're, you're staying on top of your collections, like we discussed and your accounts payable, then, I mean, then when we discuss kind of the job turn, that's going to be probably your last intangible. That I feel like yeah, the biggest one job turn focus on that. What can you do to increase that job turn? Like, if, okay, so let's spend one more minute on that. What have you seen 
are a few things to do that, to increase that job turning. Systems and processes. So usually yeah. when we get on a new CFO client, I typically fly out to my client's office and spend two days on site with them. And people think, oh, they just do financials. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. We're going to we're going to go sit down with your sales team. We're going to sit down with your estimating team. We're going to walk the sites with you because I want to see how long it takes for information to ex get exchanged from point A to point B, like through the sales process and then forward. Mm -hmm. The lifespan of your client, there needs to be a goal or a KPI for that. So from the day that the contract is signed and sold to the day that it's been billed or project complete, that can't linger on for forever because the longer that that job stays on your books, actually the less profitable that it becomes because that job is having to flow instead of maybe one month worth of overhead could be floating six months worth of overhead. So the longer mm -hmm. that you keep it, the actually the, the more you're going to start losing money on it. So um, I would say job turn probably one of the most important things that from an internal operations thing, you'll see that result financially extremely quickly. I would say within 30 days, if you could get job turn under control, you will notice the financial returns to direct profit within a month. Incredible. If somebody is, so by the way, everyone, please connect with Madeline Stout, um, profitpandacfo.com. Please go check her out and do this. Like, get, please get somebody on this. If it's not Madeline, get somebody solid. Um, I just, it seems like you guys have a great reputation. You're, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're working with Mike Claudio from what I know. Uh, you know, people really love that dude. And like, if he's associated with you, it's probably very good. Um, mm -hmm. Now, could you like next steps? Like, if, let's just spend a couple minutes on it. If you're about to sit down and try to do a budget, maybe without Madeline's help. Yeah. What are some things to like, what are the first couple steps to hopefully end up with something decent? Yeah. So I think that most people probably have some type of an accounting system, whether it's QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, Zero, doesn't really matter. But what I want you to do is I want you to run that report and we'll use QuickBooks Online. So if you're listening to this, follow along with me. But what you're going to do is you're going to log in and you're going to run your profit and loss for the year. Now, when you run that report, there is a little um, toggle at the top of the report where it, where it allows you to run your budget as a percentage of income. So what that means is it will show you how much percent you're spending in each category in your P&L. So maybe you're spending 50% in materials and 50% in um, labor, and that leaves you almost nothing for overhead, right? So when you get those percentages, write them down so that way you can understand where your company as a whole sits um, in terms of its uh, percentages. Because what I notice is that financially, it almost never ties to where you think it sits on a job by job basis. So oftentimes our clients go, well, I, I'm at a 60% margin and our commissions are blah, 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 but it doesn't correlate financially at all. And that can be attributed to the, the project turn, a variety of things, which we probably don't have time for, but get those numbers first. So when you can establish mm -hmm. your percentages and how what percent are we spending on materials and what percent are we spending on labor and what percent are we spending on overhead, then that ultimately gets you to your bottom line of your percentage of net income, then this is when we start to reverse engineer your budget. So when you give me a goal and say, hey, I want to hit 20% net income because at 20%, not only can I cover all of my intangible costs, 
like my debts and distributions, but also I can personally take home $200,000 this year. And that's what I want. I want to earn $200,000 for my family this year. When you can give me that number, and, and if you if you don't have someone, please reach out. I'm happy to help you. This, I, this could honestly be summed up in a 30-minute call. When we establish those percentages, then all we have to do is reverse engineer what we need to do for our top line revenue or sales. And what I noticed with a lot of our roofing folks is it's really difficult for them to conceptualize cash flow um, because oftentimes, like I said, your financials, it doesn't really correlate to the job costing side. But what we can do is we can give you sales metrics. Now, sales metrics are so much easier to track because if you say, hey, I have to collect $30,000 this week or 50 and I need to sell three projects, you can delegate that to your team by giving each department a goal. Hey, sales, this is what I need you to produce in one jobs. Hey, finance, this is what I need you to collect in AR. And so it gives everyone the tactics to make your budget a reality. And I think most people, when they make a budget, they make a budget and then they really don't really look at it much past that. And what I wanna do and how I want our budgets to look for our clients is it's less about the company as a whole, but it's let's look at the KPIs that we need for each department. So if we're hitting those, then we will hit our financial goals because we like it's it's math, like it, it has to work out. I love that about math. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I like love picking people like yours brains because <clears throat> frankly. You have people that are good at math, your business is going to be get better. <laughs> and like, if you don't have anyone with, that's good at math, your business is going to struggle. I mean, like, cause you can't live off of emotions and, and, uh, motivational speeches. Yeah. I mean, like, it's such a big piece of this, this thing to figure this stuff out. Any final tips, um, for roofing budget strategies? that you want to share with people before they um, either try this on their own, or I guess contact uh, you guys at profitpandacfo.com. Yeah. And honestly, just, just because I really do want to add value to your audience. If anyone is listening and they, they have a QuickBooks file, but they're not exactly sure how to make those equations work. Um, I will make a link for a 30 minute free consultation where I'll walk through this with you and help you set your sales goals for 2024. So take advantage of it. Awesome. I'll open it up for 20 people. Um, so jump on that if you'd like to have a chat, no strings attached. Um, but final thoughts is just make sure that your data is updated um, because when you create your budget, don't let that be in vain um, and look at it literally weekly. Compare it to what's actually happening in your business because um, then you can course correct throughout the year rather than waiting till the end of the year and, oh, we are so close or I mean, truly, if we can set those KPIs and if you just follow them, truly, it's a roadmap that will get you to your desired outcome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, where should people connect with you personally if they want to? Yeah. So our website, ProfitPanaCFO.com is great. We're also pretty active on Instagram at ProfitPandaCFO. I do my best to put some training videos on there um, once a month, or actually, I'm sorry, once a quarter. Um, I open up my schedule for like an open office hours so people can just come in, ask questions if you're a client or not. Um, they're 30-minute sessions, but um, maybe you're a roofing company that just doesn't quite have it in the budget yet. 
we'd love to talk to you now and then maybe in the future we could do something together but i want people to know that there isn't shame there isn't expectation like utilize the resources that are within your community by watching podcasts like this or attending events and networking groups there are people that truly are out there that will want to help and ultimately 100 um and thank you so much for taking the time to do this madeline yeah appreciate you had a great time all right everyone thank you please uh comment rate thumbs up all the things and have an amazing day bye